Good afternoon. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. Can women have it all? Funny, I thought we settled that question back in the 1980s when my generation was having babies, but no. Now, a new article in The Atlantic by writer Anne Marie Slaughter has renewed the debate, so we will too. And by the way, what is having it all? Conventional wisdom says that means having a husband, a job, children, a decent home. But does everyone really want that? We'll be taking your calls today. I'm joined here in the studio by Joanna White. She's a columnist for the Boston Globe, who yesterday published a reaction piece to the Atlantic piece by Anne Marie Slaughter. And we want to take your calls. First of all, you're sick of this topic because <laughs> it seems it comes up every year, every month. It does. It does. It's but, not um, new. And, you know, but what, how do you define having it all? Give us a call, 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. And, yes, men can call too, same-sex couples. What is having it all? So, Joanna, what is having it all? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think one way to, to look at having it all is to look at Anne-Marie Slaughter's life, yes. which is really not bad at all. I mean, no. that was why, you know, there was so much. This article came out last week. It was posted and was in the print edition that went out last week. There was hand-wringing immediately. It was on the front page of the New York Times. Everyone was know, talking this, about it. The next day it was the front page of the New York yeah, Times. Yeah, I mean, and the hand-wringing. And, and over the weekend, you know, and I, I, we talked about it endlessly at work. One of my colleagues is, is quoted in it as an example. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought this this scenario that she lays out is completely absurd. I mean, especially when she's trying to talk on behalf of all women. I know. It's not like someone told her she couldn't have the job, right? She had the job. And then she decided that this particular job at this particular moment in time was too demanding and didn't meet the yeah. needs so of her family. So let's put this in context. Right? She's the... She was the former dean of the Woodrow Wilson School mm-hmm. at Princeton, and she had a, a, a tenure position at right. Princeton. She's offered a high-ranking job in the, in the State, State Department. Department. So she uproots herself from her New Jersey home and leaves two teenage boys, one of whom was going through some difficulties, like 12 this, and 14, whatever, mm-hmm. however old they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and her husband takes over the parenting duties. She's coming home weekends only. Right. And at some point, she's hand-wringing and deciding that – She's at these, you know, highfalutin cocktail parties with the president and the, you know, chief of staff and the, all the secretaries of state, kings and queens. And <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Scott Brown was there too. And before she knows it, she's worrying about whether she should be home with her 14-year-old. Right, right. And and then she makes this decision and, and you know, and, and at the same time, her the, the job was sort of up or there's a moment where I guess you have two years at, at, to leave a university like Princeton and, and at, at which point you'd give up your tenure. So it was sort of a reasonable time for her to go home anyway. And so she went home to a flexible job with tenure. I mean, again, what exactly is she complaining about? I don't know. And I I sort of didn't believe her when she said people were saying to her things like, oh, it's too bad you had to leave that State Department job. Really? Who would ever say anything to anybody about leaving a job at the State Department and going back to Princeton? It's like I I almost felt that didn't strike me as quite true. No, in certain, Who would say uh, maybe that? in certain circles, you know, I mean, she, there, there was a certain sense of, of jealousy she had with Sheryl Sandberg, who was the, the yeah. COO of Facebook, who has said some things very publicly about women and ambition. I mean, there there's this sense, and she acknowledges it in the piece, too, I think fairly honestly, that this is a this is a conversation that's being had yeah. among a certain very is, educated set of women. We had this discussion. I mean, I, I remember very distinctly um, Martha Raddatz, who was Martha Bradley at the time. She's mm-hmm. uh, ABC uh, chief foreign correspondent. Right now, I can remember her saying to me when she got pregnant in the very early 80s, might have been in 79, she said, I plan to have it all. And by that, she meant, you know, marriage, you know, travel the world because we used to send her all over the world mm-hmm. when she was at Channel 5, have babies, you know, come home, have a nice house, have dinner parties. You know, she probably accomplished it as well as anybody, but something gives. And generally speaking, for my generation anyway, it was probably child care, you know. 
Mm-hmm. You hired the nannies, you put them in daycare or whatever it was you did, but something gives. Well, sure. And and I think, you know, a point that Slaughter makes in her article, too, is maybe we just can't have everything exactly at the same moment. And maybe we have to look at careers as as something that, you know, that the, they have rises and then plateaus and rises again. And depending on your family's needs at this particular moment, maybe you're you're stepping back from your career and you'll do the really heavy duty traveling job in 10 years. All right. Do you have it all? What is having it all? We're going to take your calls this half hour, 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Let me go back to you, Joanna, because you didn't answer. What is having it all for you? I mean, describe your circumstance. You've sure. got a great situation, too. I do. I do. And, and you know, I, I've been a journalist at The Globe for the past uh, 12 or 13 years. Pretty flexible hours. Right now, the job. Now, I didn't always have flexible hours. When I was, you know, when I started as a Metro reporter and I had extremely inflexible hours. And when I had my first uh, kid almost eight years ago, I worked very, very hard to get a job that had flexible hours. And I I actually remember a moment. I mean, that meant less travel than I used to do. I remember this the the specific moment when I realized everything changed was uh, Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. My daughter was one year old. Now, I used to live in work in New Orleans. I had a great attachment to that city. As a journalist, that was a great story. I actually had the chance to go, and I just realized I did not want to go. And other people, again, this is a personal decision. Some people Mm -hmm. want to, you know, I'm I'm not saying that working mothers shouldn't travel or can't travel, but at that moment for me, I just realized I want a different kind of job now. I I, I can't have the old job that I that I had, I've got to forge a different path in journalism. So yeah, I'm very lucky. I have two kids. I have uh, a husband who has a less flexible schedule than me, but does a lot of the the you know sharing mm. parenting when we're home. And I'm tired at the end of the day. Sometimes I I can't remember my own name at the end of the day, but we're making it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a good definition. I mean, do you have? I mean. Do you have everything else you want? I mean, is there like, I mean, what is this all thing anyway? You know, the vacation home. I mean, it's like. Right, it, right. Well, and, and again, it's, it, it has to do with, I think, comparison to other people. One of the, among the many reactions. Yeah, that I, was funny. You did a comparison. Yeah. Compared to Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> I don't have it all. Yeah. Well, I got, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of reaction to the column that I wrote on, on Twitter and different places. And someone this morning tweeted me a, a link to a discussion board. It was a guy. And he said, you know, I, I think you might find this interesting. This is just uh, it was a discussion board for, I think, business school students who were thinking about going to Wall Street. And they started talking about, you know, should I try to get the 50 hour a week job for $100,000 a year? Or should I do the 100 hour a week job for $500,000 a year? And they're kind of debating these, you know, these these pathways. And a lot of the conversations seemed to be, oh, I would feel really bad knowing that someone else was more successful than me. I don't know if I could live with myself that way. Hmm. And, you know, I think... Maybe there are people out there. Maybe Anne Marie Slaughter is one of them who who feels that need to constantly compare. I think compare if or yeah, you know, be if, competitive with. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, if you're going to be happy, I think you have to set your own boundaries. Good, good answer for that, Joanna. All right, I'm talking to Joanna Weiss from Boston Globe, and we are reacting to Anne Marie Slaughter's piece last week in the Atlantic, asking. Can women have it all? Something that I thought had been settled decades ago, because the answer is no. All right, let's take Catherine on line one. Hi, Emily. Hi. Uh, hi, Joanna. Hi. I, um, you know, I agree with what you said, Emily. The answer is no. And <laughs> the real question is, can anybody have it all? And, uh, you know, it's, it's such a dangerous message, especially to send to our children. As the mother of a teenage girl, you know, I talk to her a lot about 
my thoughts about time, and the two things I really try to emphasize to her are time is inelastic and it's irretrievable. So whatever you do with it, it's gone. It's not like money. You can't make more. Um, And so I am concerned that we continue to send our children the message that they have to have it all and do it all. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I think there's a shift in our generation, uh, in, in the generation. I'm looking at some of the people in the control room. Hi, Ann. And, you know, she's saying her mother was somebody who went for it all, and she doesn't see herself doing the same thing. So I think there's going to be a shift in this generation. I think there's a shift with men in this generation as well. I mean, there's been a lot written about Gen X and Gen Y men and how they have sort of different standards, different ideas for how much time they want to spend with their families and, and, and how much time they want to work. I mean, I do, again, I think a little bit lost in the Atlantic piece was the idea that we have made a lot of progress. It, it, we're not all there yet, and there are, there are battles wow. still to be had, and there are people yeah. out there who don't have paid sick leave. I mean, right. you know, corporate boardrooms and all that. Right. We haven't made all that right. much progress. And p- part of it is the anxiety I think women feel over being the primary caregivers. No matter what you say, until men have the babies, you're just going to have this kind of emotional, protective, you know, I got to take care of it attitude towards children. But is that a sign of weakness or lack of ambition? No, no, not at all. I I don't think so. All right, we're taking your calls this half hour, 877-301-8970. I'm also going to bring Peter Conrad into the discussion. He's a sociology professor at Brandeis University in Waltham. Peter, what's your take? We definitely need the male take on this about (laughs) having it all. We're talking about women having it all, but go ahead. Well, I thought the article was actually... Uh, pretty incisive in certain ways. I mean, there's clearly family issues and who you have as a spouse um, and whether that person is committed to compromising and developing uh, a a game plan together to both have work and kids. I I think that's an issue, although she does say, and I think she's right, that a good husband or a good partner uh, is necessary but not sufficient. I mean, I don't think men have it all either. So men, you know, make often make compromises and uh, learn how to do better better child care, involve themselves in more child care. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure what this have-it-all business is either. I think you guys covered that really well. I think that one of the things that, that seems to me the case uh, is that men need to get committed to being a, a partial or, or even full-time caregiver of children um, but that's not enough. I think that workplaces need to make life more flexible, uh, and particularly people need to have some control over their hours. Uh, the, I remember when I was... My kids are 26 and 30 now, but but I remember back when uh, in the previous generation people were uh, trying to figure out ways in which they could raise their kids and still have a job, a, job, a meaningful job. And I, I do know that a lot of women that I knew in... in the town I lived in, um, who were in high-ranking high business jobs or law firm, for instance, uh, stopped working. Simply stopped working because yep, there, no, there was no possible t- work, uh, part-time work at that time or reduced work or flexible work, and the choice was only to work or not to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the case anymore in that a lot of places. That is absolutely right. That is absolutely right. Even places like WGBH are extremely flexible. And I don't know if other companies work like this, but... You know, paternity leave, and you can take sick time if your kids are sick. Now, that's something I never did in my life. I took six weeks off when my child was born. I never, ever once took a sick day when my kid was sick. I'm not proud of that, by the way. 
That's that. That probably wasn't right. It isn't. It wasn't right. Well, I have a colleague. I had somebody else home with the sick kid. I have a colleague who said that she, when she, when she, this was, you know, twenty years ago or so, when she had kids, she felt like she couldn't put her her child's picture on her desk because it would be just a, you know, no, sort we of didn't a sign do that either. Weakness, we know? didn't do that. So yes, no cult- pictures of the kids on the desk. Again, we have ways to go, but the culture <laughs> of the workplace has changed quite a bit. Yeah. And there are there are you know institutes, some of them in Boston, that are studying, uh, you know, ways to to make things better. There are programs to on ramp mothers who have taken some time off. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're getting there. All right, Peter, stay on the line and jump in anytime you want. I'm going to take some phone calls now. We're taking calls from anybody who wants to weigh in on the question of can women have it all? 877-301-8970. 877-301-8970. Claire from Lexington, go ahead. Well, one of the things that struck me when I heard the author of the article talking on the radio was that she left her job because she gradually felt guiltier and guiltier about not being there for her teenage kids. We're not talking little kids. Yeah. Talking teenage kids. 14, 12. Well, how many husbands in a similar situation? Men don't feel guilty because they're at work and they're not seeing their teenage kids. Somebody's good is taking care of them, namely the mother, and they don't, that doesn't make them feel guilty. This was her feeling of guilt. You're right. I mean, in in many circumstances... You can have a one parent taking care of teenage kids, and they are perfectly fine. I mean, they don't need that much. Yeah, I was a little proud. She was coming home weekends. Yeah, I mean, and she had that picture in the Atlantic with her with, the, with her arms around the two boys, and I'm thinking, they don't want to be there. What kind of dependent, <laughs> what kind of, what kind of dependent teenagers did she have that she had to be no, there? No, it was her time? guilt, not theirs, for sure. Yeah, I think guilt. that's a good point. I, well, I, well, I, you I know, will if say... You, if you put yourself in that kind of a frame of mind, you are going to have a lot of trouble with a major job. There's no question. Well, now, you in can fairness make to other her. choices. I was an editor. I chose not to become a senior editor watching the kind of hours senior editors put in. Mm. I stayed a lower-level editor very happily and took care of kids and was free to go away for summers and all kinds of stuff. But that was my choice. Mm. Had I been a more ambitious woman, my kids would have been fine. Yeah, so, good point. All right, Claire, thanks for you that. Know, I mean, I will say, in fairness to Anne-Marie Slaughter, she started off the article saying that her son was having trouble in school and she felt like it, that, that, that he just... he he needed her there, that he was having some issues. I, I personally am sort of dreading the teenage years up ahead, but I have been told by people that that's, that is also a time when they do need some hands-on parenting, that it helps. Peter, what about the question of um, male guilt? Oh, oh, I thought I said stick around. Oh, all right. Never mind. We lost him. I was going to ask him about male guilt. Oh, yeah. Uh. Well, I, I don't think most men historically have felt so much guilt about not being around with their kids, particularly teenagers. Mm. But then is the answer for women to feel less guilty or for men to feel more guilty? Well, how many presidents have spent a great deal of time with their growing up teenager boys? I'm not sure that was a good thing. I mean, Roosevelt and his kids didn't have all that great a relationship, and they didn't have a very good growing up. All right, Claire, thanks for your input. you know, presidents don't worry about this. Well, no, they don't have to. All right, Claire, thanks. So the woman president is going to have to not feel guilty about not being... Well, at least they're living under the same roof, presumably. Well... (laughs) Whatever. All yeah. right. All right. Thank you. All right. Talking to Joanna Weiss from the Boston Globe here in the studio. We're reacting to a published piece in the Atlantic by Anne Marie Slaughter asking the question Can women have it all? We're taking your phone calls 877 301 8970. 877 301 8970. And we've got uh, Amanda from Sudbury. Hi. 
Hi. Hi, I love listening to you. Thanks. Um, I have an opinion on this subject that probably will not be very popular. Um, I am 33. I'm in a very long-term relationship, and I have no desire to have children. And I think that the societal pressures of your life being complete if you have children are incredibly heavy. Um, and it's something that I find myself having to explain to people. I'm and sure. The, the assumption that all women want children, I think, is just not fair at all. There's no question about that. And people look askance or, you know, oddly at you. If you didn't say, what do you mean? You don't, do you have a problem? Or I, I totally identify with that, Amanda. Well, I think that's also a reason why flexibility policies in the workplace have to be applied to everybody. It can't just be for people with kids. I mean, that's that A, stigmatizes people with kids, and B, is unfair to everybody else. There are all kinds of reasons why someone would want or need flexibility Extra six in the days schedule. or mm-hmm. something like that. Does it, has it, does it affect you in the workplace at all, Amanda? No, actually, um, my job, I'm a nanny as a job. Um, oh, no. <laughs> what? So, yeah, so, I, so I get children, but I get Talk to Talk about burying the lead. You get to You're a home, nanny? But then you get to no go No wonder home you don't want kids. Through the night. <laughs> the, um, they're actually teenage girls that I look after. Um, yeah. so, and, I, and I do do a lot of babysitting also. But um, so yeah, I feel like I sort of get the joy of children in my work life. And then well. I get to go home and have time to myself. All right. Amanda, I, I, I'm sure you've heard this before, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Thanks for you calling in. Like I'm sure. <laughs> all right. We're going to sh- take a short break and continue with this discussion. Can women have it all? You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH. Give us a call, Shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from 9 to 5 Working 9 to 5 What a way to make a living Getting by It's all taking and no giving Funding for our programs comes from you and Maine Maritime Museum celebrating its 50th anniversary and inviting you to experience Maritime Maine at Bath Heritage Days, July 4th through the 8th. More information at experiencemaritimemaine.info. And SNH Construction. Up until about five or six years ago, we didn't do much marketing at all. Doug Hanna, partner. But we found the value in getting our message out there and more specifically uh, getting our name out through WGBH Radio. You know, we just respect WGBH as an organization, always have. To learn how WGBH can benefit your business, visit WGBH.org slash sponsorship. In Florida, elections can be won or lost around Orlando. Republicans are manning the phone banks. Okay, the first question is, do you approve or disapprove of the job Barack Obama is doing as president? But Democrats have an advantage. About 250,000 Puerto Ricans have come to the Orlando metropolitan area in the last decade. Politics in Orlando today on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4 here on 89.7 WGBH. Visit WGBH.org right now and you can enter to win a trip for two to England where you'll visit Highclere Castle, known to viewers all over the globe as Downton Abbey from the hit masterpiece series. Prize includes round-trip flight on Lufthansa, four-night luxury accommodations, and a private tour of Highclere led by Lady Carnarvon herself. Afternoon tea included. But act fast. The contest ends on June 29th. Visit WGBH.org to learn more. 
Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, and starting Monday, July 2nd, we're really excited that Marketplace joins the WGBH News lineup at 6 o'clock every weekday. Marketplace, here at first in Boston at 6 on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. You're listening to the Emily Rooney Show, and in the next 15 minutes or so, we are going to answer definitively for once and for all. Can women have it all? We are taking your questions and uh, comments today at 877-301-8970. We're reacting to an article in last, uh, that came out in uh, this month's Atlantic by writer Anne-Marie Slaughter, who's renewed the debate. Uh, can women have it all? She had a big job in the, at uh, Princeton University and then took a job with the Obama administration in the State Department, stayed in that job for two years. She was feeling terribly guilty and a lot of pressure built up. She was having some problems with one of her teenage sons. So she left that job after two years. She was going to lose tenure, by the way, if she didn't get back to Princeton anyway. So it was one of those, you know, um, you know, one of those. It was convenient. Yeah. And it was also, you know, not. It was a good problem to have. Anyway, we're taking your calls, and um, we're going to hear from a male, Mark from Pawtucket's on the phone. Go ahead, Mark. Hi. Hi, Emily. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to check in. I don't know if I can answer the question, but I can just uh, share some of my own story. I adopted two boys, uh, older kids, not infants. I didn't want uh, infants. Well, probably when I was in my 40s. And uh, now they're 23 and 20 this year. Um, I'm also a home care nurse. I, I'm a registered nurse that works in home care. And my job is incredibly flexible, and through the years I've been able to, you know, have that flexibility because of the type of job. So I didn't never – I never planned to be in that situation where I had a job that was extremely flexible and I was able to take time off. And I think the other thing is working in a field that is um, predominantly uh, – predominantly women as nurses, I get a lot of sympathy uh, when I did have to take time off. And hmm. so I, I kind of feel like uh, – I did get it all. Yeah, I was I mean, going to say, Mark, do you have it all? It sounds like that you sounds do. pretty good. Now, were you, were, you, were you ever married? Do you ever want to be married? No, Was that part no, of the, no. No. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, all does not include marriage for you. <laughs> no, I used to tell people I, I used the acronym GAF. I was a gay adopted single parent. <laughs> most people in their tracks. <laughs> all right. Well, that's but, a good story. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Right, Mark from Pawtucket right. has it all. Chalk him up for right. and There's one on our scoreboard. All right. Now, I know we have a surprise caller on the line. I don't know who it is, but they claim it's a friend of the show. I'll be the judge of that. Go ahead. <laughs> who is it? It's me, Emily. Cheryl Marshall, I, your I financial card. I just knew card. it. I just <laughs> knew it. Okay. Hey, Cheryl. I, I am so torqued up about this that I had to call in. First of all, we are the women in career 1%. Hello, we're the ones that we have the financial resources yes. to make choices. And no one's talking about the rest of the female population that doesn't make I the know. salaries yeah. or bonuses that we make um, that don't have any choices. I mean, I have a vivid memory of having to leave work in the middle of the day to go get my daughter because she had chickenpox at school and I didn't want her there. And the entire time I was thinking about what if I was somebody without a car, okay, who was, you know, mopping floors at a building and couldn't leave? What I would I do? No, there's definitely that, – that was, that was what jo- the point of Joanna Weiss's uh, column yesterday about yeah. this Anne-Marie Slaughter because it was they like really – okay. it, was, it was the 1%. This is a this – is, she's addressing the problem of the 1%, like, like my, the nanny, one- my nanny dented the Volvo. So it's going <laughs> to – you know. 
what I call high-class problems, totally. okay? Um, number one. And, you know, it, it's really important to distinguish uh, between these kinds of situations because we have made choices because we mm-hmm. have the financial resources to do them. Exactly. The financial resources to have a nanny if we want to or send our child to child care. And I, I think making that distinction is absolutely the most critical thing. We are such a small sliver of the population with these quote-unquote problems. No, yeah. it's true. And Massachusetts, again, is one of many states that does not have a paid sick leave policy, that, you know, that we have maternity leave policies in this country that are incredibly anemic, that make it very hard for people to... All the government policies Mm -hmm. anemic. Mm -hmm. And that's my other point. We're one of the few westernized countries that have zero policies. And I completely agree with Amanda, the caller before. It's not just taking care of children, because Emily, you and I know we're entering, you know, taking care of elderly parents. Mm And there's no accommodation for that. Well, you're going to have a whole generation of boomers who have to take care of their elderly parents, which are going to require time out of the office. It's even more time-consuming in some respects. More time if they're still working. And and this, to me, is the kind of conversation that needs to be had, not the whining. I know. Well, I was surprised that this got as much attention as it did because I had said, Cheryl, we were having this discussion. We were having babies in the late 70s and early 80s. It was like... Did what you had to do. That's all. Well, it was there was a question of having it all. You wanted to have it all. We all tried to have it all. Right. Something exactly. gives when you try to have it all. That's the bottom no. line. I used to give tons of talks uh, to you know young women all over the place, and I said you have three balls in the air all the time: your children, your career, and your spouse. The rest of your family, they're not all going to be in the air at the same time. Something's going to fall. Something else is going to fall. You just do the best that you can with the awful policies that we have in place in this country, right. and you just try to muddle through. Right. It's good. No, it's not good. But the point is, we have the choice to muddle through them. What about Cheryl? I knew it was going to be you, and that's a great point. Thanks so much for calling in. Oh, you're welcome, Emily. I'll see you in a few okay. weeks. Bye. And I won't put in a pay stub for this either, okay? <laughs> All right, Cheryl. We're taking your, taking your phone calls for the next few minutes, 877-301-8970. Joanna Weiss from the Boston Globe joins me here. We've got Marjorie from Brookline. Go ahead, Marjorie. Hi, Emily. Hey. Um, I just wanted to say that I think whenever you make a choice of any kind, there's that the grass is always greener phenomenon. There's always wistfulness for what you don't have anymore. And I think one of the things that's wrong is that when you choose to give up a career for um, a family position, there are no equivalences in place. It's kind of an extension of what you were just talking about. There are no tax breaks, there are no, there's no health insurance, you're penalized at every turn for making that choice, along with, again, the feeling that, oh my gosh, I've given up this opportunity that I loved and cherished. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of it. We need um, systemic things in place to make the choice less of an onerous. Well, I mean, I feel like I gave up on the idea of a second kid because I was more concerned about my career. Somewhere along the line... Mm-hmm. Something gives. I mean, it's it can't not, do it all. It, fortunately, again, it's not sort of binary anymore. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to to give up your career permanently once you have a child and sort of know that that's the end of the story. You can, you know, there are there are opportunities to cut back, to to take a little time off and then return. You know, I I feel like we've uh, we've we've given young women an expectation that they can have careers and that they can have kids, and I think that that's true. Within reason. Mm. And, I, and I agree with your overall premise that everything, every decision leads to regret. It doesn't matter what That's it true. is. Yeah, but I 
on guilt. I think that it is yeah. binary. I think in an ideal world, it wouldn't be binary. But in the real world, it does feel highly binary. Hmm. All right. Thanks for the call, Marjorie. Take, taking your phone calls for the next few minutes, 877-301-8970, 877-301-8970. Do you have conversations like this with your colleagues and coworkers in, in your age group? I mean, Yes. I mean, all, all the time. I mean, we talk about just the, the struggle of balancing it all. I mean, it, it, again, it's it's possible, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, Do the, the guys get in on it? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, I think I, I have to say that, that it's it's more a women's conversation. Um, you know, maybe Do you still make all the, the doctors structure. and dentists appointments? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, See, I mean, I, I, yeah, the, the household responsibilities sometimes the fall in a way food, that is very shopping. gendered. I was just joking to my husband that, I, you know, I, I was just doing it. It's like I needed a spreadsheet to figure out the summer camp schedule and this morning drop off and yeah. this and pick up. it. And, you know, it, it's 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 something that he doesn't think about, but he does mow the lawn. I mean, yeah. good for him. Uh, so, yeah, we do... We do talk about it a lot, and we do, you know, we talk about things like the high cost of childcare. I mean, you know, there, some of the sacrifices that you make when you have kids are financial because it's it's a complete shock to find out how much it costs for good childcare. You know, yeah. even if you are working. Oh, I know it's, it, it is. It is incredible. I mean, the, you I know, the, know the amount of your it. salary that goes to that. I, I don't know how it's people like another do mortgage. it anymore. Mm-hmm. I know. I scrimped on that one. I won't tell you how. All right. (laughs) Taking phone calls today, Susan from Boston. Go ahead. Hi. I just, you know, I wanted to dispute the notion that this is a female-only issue. And I, you know, I don't, I'm in my 40s. And I feel like my generation of partners tends to share the guilt, and it's all guilt, a lot more evenly. You know, my husband and I actually work at the same job. We do the same type of work. And like, if I can't be home with the kids when they're sick, he goes home. If I can't be at their assembly, he goes to their assembly. And it's not a, I'm not just lucky. I feel like a lot more uh, men are kind of stepping up to the plate on this issue and realizing that you have to balance both. You can't do all career or all children in it kind of be satisfied. But it sounds like your workplace way. gives you a little flexibility too, because well, a lot of the, workplaces frown on our own law firm, so we we are our own bosses, and that's where oh. our flexibility. Well, once comes again, from. burying so the lead. Yeah, you control your own but, destiny. But if you worked at a big law firm, and yeah, they, you would never get that in a big law no, firm. But no. I feel like I do, quote unquote, have it all. But I still feel guilty all the time. So <laughs> I feel like I have the why? best situation I could have, and I'm still, you know, if I miss my kids are hiking today with a babysitter. Why am I not hiking with the children? You know, like constantly, this goes on and on and on in your mind. Like, no matter where you are, you think you should be someplace else, and I don't know how to solve that because yeah. if I don't feel guiltless, I don't know who it's going to. Okay, well, that's exactly the point that Anne Marie Slaughter was making. Thanks for that, Susan. Right. All right, we've got a call, time for a couple more calls here. We've got uh, Celeste from uh, somewhere in Massachusetts. Go ahead, Celeste. Hi. Um, I just wanted to talk about a couple of the issues. I'm also a registered nurse, and I spent a lot of time home with my child. And uh, I was disputing a little bit what the gentleman said on the phone who was also a registered nurse. You do sacrifice a lot when you work only part-time or you have that flexible job because you're not counted on to be promoted. So you do sacrifice cost there. And also the guilt issue. I don't think guilt comes from inside of us about our kids, but that when kids don't turn out right, who's the first person that gets blamed for that? Mom. (laughs) Right, right, right. So, you know, and if you think about the um, case uh, in Boston about 10 years ago of the au pair that got accused of shaking the kid. Louise Woodward. the, The mother was vilified. Um, for not being home with her child. 
Well, so, and, and you know, th- this is an aspect of the the quote unquote mommy wars that is also tiresome. That's even more tiresome, I think, than the than the having it all work life balance question is kind of you know who's doing right? Is it you know should you work? Should you stay home with your young children? Are you a good mother? Are you a good enough mother? I mean, I feel like that's that is some guilt that it would be wonderful for everyone to just let go because again, most people don't have that choice. That we are whole, doing the best we it, can. It plays into that whole guilt issue, though. And um, when I stayed home with my child. I was looked upon as less than because I wasn't pursuing a career. So you talk about making the choices and that women make these choices and we have the opportunity to make these choices. Well, some of us do have have choices we can make, but there are many working mothers out there that don't have a choice. We were just talking about that with Cheryl Marshall. That's absolutely true. And that's why the comparison is just so deadly. Thank you. you All right. Uh, Let's see. We're taking a few more calls here. We've got uh, Rebecca online, too. Go ahead, Rebecca. Um, I'm 32 years old and single, and I was thinking about communication and, and this conversation. I read an article sort of about this in a magazine a couple months ago, and I wonder about the way we communicate now, and it's so much of it is done on Facebook. And in the article, they were talking about how people edit their lives on Facebook and only show you the things that they really want you to see. You don't see the bad things. And if we're looking at these pictures and communicating online and only seeing the edited version, you know, you start to wonder, well, well, I don't have these kind of pictures to put online. I don't have the boyfriend and the life, and, and I don't have the kids, And but, you know, I still have a good career. It, I mean, I'm wondering if some of us feel like we don't have it all because we're seeing these edited versions of life. Well, that's another take. What do you think, Joanna? Well, you know, again, as I was saying a second ago, I think I think that that need to compare is what gets really deadly. I mean, I feel like a lot of people, if if they lived in a vacuum, would be able to sort of set their own personal boundaries. And they're different for every person. You know, what? how much work do you want to do? How much time do you want to spend with your kids? What makes you feel right? What, what do you feel like your kids need or what do you feel like you need in your life? To have to just be constantly looking at everybody else around you and, and figuring out where you measure up, that's where these feelings of guilt and inadequacy and, and stress come from. From. Hmm. It's nice to know that I'm not alone in that feeling, though, because, you know, I was a bartender for 11 years, and then I sold my book and became a novelist, and even now, I'm like, oh, I have the career I want, but then I see all these great pictures of people with their families, and I'm like, can I have it all? Can I have both? And I think that Facebook for me, you know, is and Twitter and all these great communications are really, you know, so much detrimental to your feel not mine necessarily, but some people's feelings of self-worth, right. and women especially, I think. All right, but, Rebecca, thanks for the call. Thank you. All right. Well, we've got a time for a couple more calls. Uh, we've got Lori from Arlington. Go ahead, Lori. Hi. The one argument I would make with the one percent um, statements is that even if you are in the one percent and you've got the easy problems, no matter how high ranking you are as a woman, someone will always come to you and say, "Shouldn't you be home with your kid?" <laughs> I think Whereas that's true. if you're a man, you could be at the highest, the lowest, whatever job. Yeah. No one's ever, ever. going to come that's to you. And no, say I think that. that's true. That, that is true. And that the only reason true. we ask this question. Is that because men tell us to ask ourselves that question? And I think that it's, uh, it all goes back to the idea that really women should not be working. They should be at home with their kids because that's what women do. And they get us to talk to each other about, you know, argue with each other about working mothers and stay-at-home mothers. And we hate each other. And what are we doing till we get so, you know, confused? We don't know what's going on. I think we need to stop asking this question that men tell us to ask. If we like, we could turn around and ask them why they're not home with their kids. But, you know, I just think that wherever you are, even if you were the president, as the lady said earlier, 
Someone would come to you and You're say, right. shouldn't you be home watching your kids? All right. You know what? We've got time for one more call. Thanks for that, Lori. I think Frank sure. may have a counter for you. Go ahead, Frank. <laughs> Frank from Providence. Go ahead. Hello. How are you? Good. Yeah, listening to this conversation, a um, couple of comments. First of all, men feel just as guilty uh, as women <laughs> with the involvement of their kids. Mm-hmm. And I think we're also living in a different age where men are much more involved in the lives of their kids, taking them to dance lessons, taking them to the hospital, going through all of those different eras and times. And in regards, I did not read the article, but based on what I'm hearing, as the parent of a 21-year-old and an almost 19-year-old, you have no idea what the teenage years represent you. And this has nothing to do with whether you are a good parent or a bad parent. You just have no idea where you're, what will happen with your kids during those age, during that particular time. And some kids moving through that age are going to need a little more time, and that's when it's up to the parents to make some tough decisions about, okay, for the next two, three years, I need to help my, my child get through this period. Yeah, well, that's a good point, Frank, and that's exactly what Anne Marie Slaughter point she was making. Thanks for the call, Frank. Thank you. No, I agree. I mean, you know, and it is great to hear that the dads do feel guilt. I hear, you know, and I do hear that. I, again, I know a lot of really involved men um, in, in my circle, in my household. You know, I know a lot of, uh, of, of men who, who do wish they had more time. And I know a lot of stay-at-home dads who, you know, the family kind of made the calculation that this salary versus daycare, yep, yep. you know, I mean. You I've know, seen that too. And, and I, I think we're hitting a point where both parents are talking about this a lot. All right. Have we settled the question? Can women have it all? We've Not all at the it, same right? time. Okay. Good answer. All right. Joanna Weiss from the Boston Globe. Thanks so much for being with Thank us. Thank you. All right. Up next is Boston Dull After Dark. What can be done to make the city more vibrant? Greg Selko has some ideas. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. WGBH programs exist because of you and New England Subaru offering the all-wheel drive outback during the Subaru Summer Event 2012. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Dealer listings and more information available at NewEnglandSubaru.com. And the Massachusetts Teachers Association, reminding everyone that adults play an important role in encouraging children to read. Reading is the key to success, so read to your children every day and encourage them to love books. And the members of the WGBH Sustainer Program, whose gifts of $5, 10 or $20 a month make up the most reliable income for the programs you love on 89.7. Learn more about sustaining membership at WGBH.org. I'm Callie Crossley. On the next Callie Crossley Show, from the bus stop to the boardroom, we'll bring you a wide-ranging conversation that taps into the talk of your town. We want to hear from you, too. Call in and become a part of the conversation. On the Callie Crossley Show, radio is a two-way street. That's today at 1 on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio.
staying informed. The issue now is whether states must also follow the Second Amendment. Asking questions. What has actually gone on at the White House today? Trying new things. Try this. Star Wars in concert. It all matters. Makes a difference. An impact. On me. My family, my friends. My neighbors. The whole community. So, I chip in. I'm happy to give. I support WGBH. And you know that. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible for radio that really matters. We used to leave work at the office. Now, technology follows us home and on vacation. I'm Kara Miller. This week on Innovation Hub, the transformation of the American workplace. Saturday morning at 7 here on 89.7 WGBH. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. Well, Boston is often called a sleepy city. Bars close at 2 a.m., early compared to most cities, and public transportation screeches to a halt even earlier than that. That, along with a high cost of living, strict regulations for retail and restaurant businesses, that can cause some young professionals and recent college grads to think twice about starting a life here. But my next guests have a plan. They want to jumpstart Boston. They have an idea for its future. Greg Selko and Malia Lazu, they've started Future Boston Alliance to get this conversation started. And you're getting a lot of buzz on this, Greg. We are, thanks to you. Well, I don't know about me, but <laughs> some of it good, some of it bad. I'm just worried you're getting more boots on your car now. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I've said a few things. But, you know, I was wondering if maybe part of this problem isn't seasonal. Maybe because I was thinking that in the last couple of weeks, I've been to like a thousand events in Boston. A lot of them went really late, including the Beach Boys last night, mm-hmm. which went way later than I anticipated. But there, the city was just like gridlock last night. There were so many events going on between the baseball game and all kinds of parties and events and things. So is part of it seasonal, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I think there's some seasonality. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, when it's warm, people are tend to be out more. And I think we have some really good moments. There's times when I'm like, wow, Boston's just buzzing. It's on fire. There's a lot of people out there. But I think it's not just about how late it goes. It's also about the diversity yeah. of events and, and who has access to the events and how easy is it to, for someone to have an event where there's sort of a small group of people who can get licenses and, and permits and things like that. So we just, you know, again, we've always said we think Boston's great and there's, you know, we're, we're in an enviable position because we're doing much better than other cities. But we think there's so much more we can we can do. Yeah, well, how do you strike through? I mean, one of the things Greg has said is that he thinks the city is overregulated. And I talked to Mike Ross, Boston City Councilor, about that, and he doesn't disagree. But how do you break through that? I mean, it's not that the fix is in, but it's the usual suspects who get, you know, if you're part of the Back Bay Restaurant Group and you apply for a liquor license, you're likely to get the next one. You guys have a couple of creative ideas about how to break through that. Yeah, well, I think initially just starting the conversation for people to understand, oh, this is why Boston has this feel, um, and then getting people activated. Um, We're really excited about Councillor Presley's request for a liquor license hearing, and we're going to be meeting with Senator Eldridge as well to hear about his bill that that he put forward forth around get, getting rid of the, the statewide liquor licensing laws. Um, and we also want to see what we can do that's outside of, of the policy and, and regulations. So we're going to be launching an accelerator program that's going to encourage small businesses um, to start here in Boston. And we're, we think that there's things that we can do to just change the feeling, um, which will then have a ripple effect um, back to you know City Hall and, and what changes need to be made um, around regulation and, and policy. Because every liquor license pretty much comes with the same price tag. So what what you're proposing is maybe we have these, I don't want to say boutique, but 
small, you know, yeah, you know, cafe Sydney, style. Yes, yeah, Sydney passed a law. Sydney, um, Australia? Yes, yeah. and it was called the Small Bar Bill. And um, they had a very similar problem to yeah. us, which was, you know, it was a very fraternity-feeling yep. culture. And so young couples wouldn't go on date night. You know, it's not a place you'd bring your wife. Um, and they passed this Small Bar Bill, which Melbourne had did, did before. Um, and if you have less than 100 people, your liquor license is $500. That's now, fantastic idea. Yeah, it, I mean, it really mm-hmm. just opens up, and as Greg says, creates access. I mean, I live in Roxbury, um, and I have to leave my neighborhood um, to, to get no a drink. There's no bars in Roxbury. Right. Well, no. Yeah, and I think along with the lines of Malia's talking about, so we're trying to do some research. I think it's important to look at what's going on in the rest of the world. I actually lived in Melbourne, Australia for six months. I can tell you they have incredible diversity of, of venues. There's lots of little small places. And why are those small places important? Because, you know, not everyone wants to go to a college bar where you can you have to sell as much liquor as humanly possible in order to make the cost of the license effective to the owner or very high-end places where it's not about volume, but it's very expensive. So those little places are where a lot of ideas happen and a lot of 25 to 35-year-olds, although I'm out of the demo now, but uh, <laughs> 25 to 35-year-olds meet and, and, and congregate. And I think if you go to other cities, if you go to New York or San Francisco or you know places in other countries, there's lots of little places as well. And they, we don't need to have it just have to be a maximum cash volume type of game. I mean, the problem is that I, I mean, I, I've never been to Melbourne, but I imagine it's similar in that it's very um, neighborhood-centric. Mm-hmm. So while it's almost like you have to have take it on a case-by-case basis yes. you know, because certain sections of Boston like it really sleepy because it's, it's kind fine. of like, you know, that's that's where that's the neighborhood nature. Uh, no, no, Roxbury might want to l- have a little bit more happening because there isn't anything happening. You know, there's a lot happening in the Back Bay. There's a lot happening in Beacon Hill. There's a lot happening in, you know, Dorchester. There's a lot of... but. And then, you know, you don't want stuff spilling into the neighborhood restaurants, neighborhood, uh, excuse me, the residential areas, but you certainly want to be able to have it access to it in right. a residential well, area. Well, I, I think along those lines, I mean, I think right now, Malia, correct me if I'm wrong, in Dorchester and Roxbury, there is almost no places with liquor licenses at all or Mattapan. Well, there's so, some in Dorchester. Uh, f- few. N- not in, in certain it's, parts of I'm, Dorchester. Yeah, I'm, not talking, I'm talking about pri- predominantly African-American, African-American and Latino neighbors. Yeah. Not, not all of Dorchester, so that's correct. But I think the you know, it would be interesting to look at because I don't know the answer and we will look at how many liquor licenses in, uh, in, in the city of Boston aren't owned by uh, white people. I would say that probably they're all owned or very few exceptions. Outside of Daryl Settles. Yeah, who, own, who, yeah, who, own, who owns Bob the um, Chef. Yeah. yeah. Bob yeah. the Chef. So I think it's I think and, and that's not necessarily a, a race thing per se. It just so happens that the I mean certainly has a race racial connotations and race is part of it, but I think it has to do with the fact that a small kind of connected group of people generally are the ones who get the license. Isn't that the same in every city in terms of these onerous you know things you have to go through to get a liquor? I mean, and, and what, what the liquor license is four hundred fifty thousand or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's we're some, the most expensive uh, of any city in the country. Yeah. So so it's not the same. Clearly, neighborhoods are concerned about it. Yeah. New York City, they have tough neighborhood boards. There's neighborhoods who don't want to. The bars close later. But if you get approved for a liquor license, you just get issued a liquor license. And it's much, much easier. And there's yeah, who, much why more. Why are you paying for it? Who, who gets that money? It's a, it's a marketplace. So now yeah. the, the, the person who owned it before gets to sell it. And since they're capped and there's certain lawyers that uh, you know, have, have access to the mayor and city hall and, and most people don't, it really gets pooled into a small group of people. And you know, I don't think we're here to point the finger at anyone. The no. system predated the mayor, predated, but, but you know, the mayor is the head of the city, and it's time to, 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 make, to really look at what it. What about some other things? Because I don't want to focus just yeah. on the bars because a lot of people push back on that. But there are other things too. 
about it always comes back to the bar somehow. Right, right. Because right. exactly. we have lots of other issues. Well, you know, what, one, of the, one of the things that, um, and again, you know, I, I think we can always look towards New York. We don't want to be New York. We definitely don't want to be New York. Um, we're Boston. We don't need to be. Um, but things like block parties, right? Um, things that build a society, that, that bring people together. Um, I think that it's, there's, there's an openness to certain types of people coming together and, and having things. But, you know, to, to get a block party um, in this city is, is very, very hard. I actually started Mass Vote because I couldn't get a permit to do a voter registration concert. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of permissions um, that that need to be sought. And in other cities, there are some permissions, but the difference is is huge. Um, you know, four to forty around that hockey um, event. Yeah, no, it was, it was seventy five uh, seventy permits in Boston, five for for Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, I think we do want some type of permissions, and 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 also it is a good we revenue do. for the city. And for instance, they've tried to regulate the food trucks, but it's like, where are they? Right. I, mean, well, I don't even know. Yeah, they sort of regulated example. them out of out of effectiveness. I mean, if you go down to where um, the south, um, what is it called? Um, our station. South Station. South Station. Right there, um, there's a few food trucks. Um, but, you know, I think even that, it's like we, we open up the, the um, yeah. you know, we allow it to happen, but then we regulate it um, out, of, out of existence. And, you know, Green Street Vault, which is um, a company that we're very excited about and we support. Um, what do they do? They, they sell clothing out of a truck. Oh, and, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah and, and they've been meeting with the city and, and getting a lot of pushback based on who their customer base is, you know. Right. So I think that um, it's not that we don't want permission but that is we want things to be fair um, and we want everybody to, to have access to be able to live the lives that, that they want. As you were saying, if a town wants to be sleepy, that's great. Or if a neighborhood wants to be sleepy, that's great. Um, but if you do not want to be sleepy or if you sleep during the day, you would like, um, you know, you, you would like some things to do. Now, Greg, as you know, the mayor has been a little bit thin-skinned about all this really? from you. Have you, you, haven't, you haven't, Mike Ross, by the way, told us point blank he thought he should just sit down and talk to you. Oh, I, I, I would love to talk to him. We, you know, the fact is we were working with several people people in the mayor's administration or in, in departments and once we we had that that horrible video that came out which we we think is it's you know it's fair play and political satire they were both told they can't work with us anymore so you know we'd still like to sit down with them you know i think that the mayor's reaction has been odd and and a bit uh over the top i think if he spent less time sort of being angry and and trying to accuse us of being some sort of secret political organization mm. and spent more time listening to us and actually saying, hey, look, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying there's things we can do better. I, I, you know, I have a successful company, but there's, I make mistakes every day. And the fact is, you know, the numbers and the support that we've gotten backed us up. I mean, we've gotten, we're putting together a record called Tales of the Tape, which we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of stories of specific examples from the Boloco thing to things that people are writing for us now of ways that laws weren't apply, applied fairly by how bureaucracy killed businesses, how, uh, you know, things in Boston have operated and, and showing the real human, human effects of them. And I think, you know, that you mentioned the food trucks. I think the food trucks are a great example. We're getting inundated by people from the food truck world in Boston saying, can you help us? I mean, there's an article called Trucked Up, which was in the Boston <laughs> magazine. So you don't have to bleep yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's trucked. Um, and uh, it's all about they, they've sent an open letter to the mayor and the, the, the city's position is we're doing great with food trucks. And our position is I think they Mike Ross was the guy who led the charge. I give yes, him all did. the credit in the world because the city never would have done it. The city administration. He got this. We were four years after every other city. And I feel like they just checked a box and then said, hey, know, they should be here in Brighton. There's no food here anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can see out the window. You only have a cleaner here. No, we don't. Yeah, that's a <laughs> whole other Zoots. thing. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have a dry cleaner, but no, no food. Right. 
And you shouldn't need an IV League education to start food checks. <laughs> what else? What else is on your agenda? Um, I think the you know so obviously there's a lot of bureaucracy stuff. There's a lot of culture stuff in terms of venues. Let's talk a little bit about business, right? In term outside of regulations, I think you know one of the one of the things that uh, we hear often uh, is that. You know, the venture community in Boston, which is great, the second best in the country, um, tends to like to fund specific types of businesses. But we're very good in the biotech and high tech space, high, high tech. But there's this whole world out there now, and, and New York's kind of kicking our butt in it, and, and Silicon Valley, of people developing apps and video games. We do okay in video games and creative industries, even things like food trucks and other sort of businesses that are a little bit outside of the box or more risky. I think Facebook was an example. We lost Facebook. Oh, I don't um, know about that. Um, you know, but Facebook couldn't get funded in Boston. Now, that's not the only reason we lost it, but I think we one of the, part of the things we're doing with the Accelerator program is we want to try and get some other businesses out there to get them funded that are a little different. All right. Greg Salco, Malia Lazu, thank you much for being here. Thank you. Good luck with your future Boston Alliance. All right, that's going to do it for us this afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. Stay with us now for the Kelly Crossy Show coming up next. And tonight on my television show, Greater Boston, one State Street Bank employee tells us workers there are being forced to train people from India to take their jobs. And the designer of those big, fat gypsy wedding dresses joins us. That's tonight at 7 on Channel 2. The Emily Rooney Show is a production of WGBH Radio on the web at WGBH.org, Boston Public Radio. I'm Emily Rooney. Have a great afternoon.